Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. My name is Jonathan Snowbell, and we are beginning learning our six portions of Parashat Korach. We ended last week's parasha with five paragraphs or topics that seemed to interrupt the narrative flow of Sefer Bemidbar between the sin of the spies and Parashat Korach. We attempted to explain these five paragraphs, mostly halachic ones, in a vacuum, but also as part of the aftermath of the sin of the spies. We now begin Parashat Korach. We'll try to understand the story, its chronological placement, and, and its sequential placement, and perhaps revisit some of these interrupting paragraphs from the end of Parashat Shlach, and view them not just in the aftermath of the sin of the spies, but as necessary introductions to Parashat Korach. Let's begin reading our parasha. Vaikach Korach ben Yitzhar ben Kehat ben Levi vedatan vaaviram ben Elia veon ben Pelet ben Eruven. Vayakumu lifnei Moshe vaanashim ibn Yisrael hamishim umatayim. Nesiei Ida kiriei Moed anchei Shem. Vayikahalu al Moshe ve'al Aharon. Vayomeru alehem rav lachem. Kichol ha'ida kulam kedoshim uvtocham Adonai. Umadu'a titnaseu al kehal Adonai. Now Korach, the son of Yitzhar, the son of Kehat, the son of Levi, with Datan and Aviram, the sons of Eliav, and On, the son of Pelet, the sons, sons of Reuven, took action. And they rose up before Moshe, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. They assembled together against Moshe and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and Hashem is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of Hashem? What we read ostensibly is a group of four components organizing against Moshe with a single complaint. Korach, Datan and Aviram, who are coupled together, On ben Pelet, and additionally the 250 leaders of the nation. The complaint is described in verse 3, Why do you, Moshe and Aaron, exalt yourselves above the nation? Everyone is holy, not just you. It sounds like a just fight that in the democratic society we live in today, we could even identify with. Verse 4, Vayishma Moshe vayipol al panav. When Moshe heard this, he fell on his face. Moshe falling on his face is reminiscent of last week's parasha, in which he and Aharon fell on their faces in response to the spies' undermining report. But as opposed to that incident in which Moshe's response concluded with falling on his face, here Moshe is far more active subsequently to falling on his face. Verse 5. And and he, Moshe, spoke to Korach and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning Hashem will show who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Do this. Take censers for yourselves, Korach and all of your company, and put fire in them, and lay incense upon them, Ketoret, in the presence of Hashem tomorrow, and the man whom Hashem chooses shall be the holy one, who, the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. Moshe puts Korach and his group, Adato, his Eida, to a challenge. You want to see who God has chosen? Bring your pans with Ketorit and we will see. 
he concludes his remarks with the words, Rav Lachem B'nei Levi, you have gone far enough. Them are fighting words. Who mandated these fighting words? The Rashbam clearly states that Moshe fell on his face to pray, and in that instance of prayer, God told him to make this challenge. However, it does not say this in the verses. And in the continuation of the story, when God himself speaks, the Torah records it. The Ramban, as a second opposing opinion, brings this opinion of the Rashbam and justifies it as plausible. However, the first opinion that he brings is that Moshe made this challenge of his own volition, without a commandment or consultation with God. This is a point which we will need to retain in our memory as we continue to evaluate our story. Verse 8. Vayomer Moshe el Korach, Shim'una b'nei Levi, Ham'at mikem, Ki hivdil elohei Yisrael etchem me'adat Yisrael la'kriv etchem elav, La'avod et avodat mishkan Adonai, Ve'la'amod lifnei ha'ida l'sharetam, Vayakrev otecha ve'et kolachecha v'nei Levi itach, Uvikashtem gam kehuna, Lachain ata ve'chol adatecha hanu'adim al Adonai, Ve'aharon mahu ki talinu alav. Then Moshe said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the Mishkan of Hashem and to stand before the congregation to minister them? And that he has brought you near, Korah and all of your brothers, the sons of Levi with you, and you and are you seeking for, for Kehuna as well? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against Hashem. But as for Aharon, who is he that you grumble against him? What is going on in these verses? It sounds like an attempt to placate, to speak softly, to speak to the heart of Korach and his Levite supporters. God has also given you a significant role. Wise words. But there seems to be a tactical question mark here. One first uses diplomacy placation, speaking softly to convince one's adversary to back down. If all fails, one may go to full-fledged confrontation. Additionally, one may decide that diplomacy is not a good option, and one must directly go to a confrontation. That appears initially to be what Moshe chose to do, by initially answering with the Ketorah challenge confrontation. However, what seems not to be an option is to call for confrontation and then use diplomacy. By beginning with confrontation, it signals to the other side that there are no options for backing down. They are ready to confront. Post-confrontation diplomacy is often too little, too late. Additionally, Moshe is given, giving an interpretation of Korach's claim. We previously presented Korach's claim in verse 3 as a democratic one. Why should Anyone be above anyone else. Everyone should we be equal. However, Moshe appears to be hearing something else or perhaps reading between the lines. Does Korach and his group really believe in equality as he claimed? Or is Korach asking for the role of Kohen for himself under the guise of democracy? This line of hidden reasoning of Korach is expanded upon by Rashi. Kehat, son of Levi, had four sons, Amram, Yitzhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Amram got two portions, as parenthetically is perhaps appropriate for the firstborn, his two portions being Moshe, the leader, and Aharon, the Kohen Gadol. Who should be next? The sons of Yitzhar, the second son. But the next leadership position was given out to Elitzafan ben Uziel, the prince of the tribe of Levi, skipping over Yitzhar and Hebron. Finally, 
Moshe reminds them there's no such thing as complaining against Aharon or complaining against Moshe for that matter. Your complaint is directed at God. Aharon is not self-appointed. Moshe is not self-appointed. A question about the leadership is a question posed to or against God. So if we summarize what we have learned till this point, verse 11, one cohesive group, Korach, Datan, and Aviram, on and 250 notable leaders with one cohesive complaint. Why have Moshe and Aaron taken sole control over all leadership positions? This being the case, we can now make an educated guess about the chronology of this story. The Ibn Ezra comments, This story took place in the wilderness of Sinai, before the sin of the spies, when the firstborn were replaced with the Levi'im, for they sought... For they thought that Moshe had made the decision on his own to give Aharon greatness, likewise a higher stature to Kahat, his, Moshe's family, and to the tribe of Levim, Moshe's tribe. And the Levim gathered against him because they were placed under the control of Aharon and his sons. And Datan and Aviram joined because he took the birthright from Reuven and gave it to Yosef. Perhaps they suspected because of Yehoshua, his servant, from the tribe of Ephraim. And Korach was a firstborn, and the 250 princes were firstborns. What the Ibn Ezra posits seems logical, with two major flaws. Why does it appear at this juncture in Sefer Bemidbar if it happened earlier? As we look forward to the upcoming verses and the camp of Datan and Aviram, we will see that the question of who is serving God is not the only question at stake, which will pose a difficulty to the Ibn Ezra. With this, we move on to verse 12. Vaishlach Moshe likro ledatan velaviram benelia, vayomeru lo nale, hamat ki heelitanu meeretz zavat halavudvash lahamitainu bamidbar, kitistarer alenu gam histarer, af lo eleret zavat halavudvash haviotanu, vatitenlanu nahalat sadevacharem, hainea nashim hem tenaker, lo nale. Then Moshe sent a summons to Datan and Aviram, the sons of Eliav, but they said, We will not come up. Is it not enough that you have brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us? Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come out. Let us note the following. Until this point, we viewed the rebellion as a united group, as the impression was given from the opening verses of the parasha. When verse 3 described the complaint of the rebellion, we viewed it as the unified voice of the rebellion, and Moshe's response in verses 5 to 11 as the response to the united rebellion. However, as now Moshe separately turns to Datan and Aviram, we begin to understand that the rebellion is not unified, and the claims of the rebels are not one. Moshe's words to Korach were not necessarily received by Datan and Aviram, and now Moshe wants to reach out to them. However, no communication transpires. They do not allow for Moshe to communicate with them and explain why. They do not talk about their role or lack of serving God. They talk about Moshe's failure as a leader. Using the words the spies used to describe Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Zavat Chalavudvash, they describe Egypt implying a treachery in the Exodus. And for what purpose? For nothing. You took us out of a land uh, flowing with milk and honey for nothing. 
This line of Datan and Aviram opens a whole new line of reasoning regarding the chronology of our parasha. The Ramban quotes the Ibn Ezra that we mentioned earlier and takes him to task. Number one, as a rule, unless there is no choice, the Ramban prefers to align chronology with the sequence as opposed to the Ibn Ezra. Therefore, placing the story of Korach at the beginning of, Parshat, of Sefer Bamidbar is out of the question for the Ramban. Number two, he points to the words of the Tananaviram. As we mentioned, they do not discuss choice of this tribe of, or group. They discuss Moshe's leadership per se. The finger on Moshe's leadership came after the events in Midbar Sinai, the, death of, at, the deaths at Tavera, the deaths in the aftermath of the quail. Moshe is not praying for them after the sin of the spies. This is the Ramban's words, not mine. We discussed a limited prayer that asked for sparing the nation, but not beyond that, like he did at the sin of the golden calf, but the Ramban uses the words, not praying. Subsequently, the death of the spies who were leaders too, and finally the decree that they would, the, the nation would die in the wilderness and never reach the land of milk and honey. These make the words of Datan and Aviram comprehensible. We got out of Egypt, the land of milk and honey, for nothing, because indeed this generation will never reach the promised land. Datan and Aviram are reincarnating the words from Parashat Shlach, Nitena Rosh Venashuva Mitzrayim. Let us appoint a new leader and return to Egypt. Moshe is not a good leader, and Egypt is a good land. Number three. Once the nation is grumbling about Moshe's leadership in general, in the aftermath of the sin of the spies, old grievances can now rear their heads. Why the Levi'im and not the firstborn? Why Aharon, etc.? Thus, the, this rebellion is a brilliant political opportunity to band different forces with different agendas and claims together against Moshe. Now let us go back to some of the other players. The 250 leaders and princes, these were famous, well-known people, but we know nothing about them, no names, no specific positions. The Midrash and B'midbar Rabbah understands this as a critique. These 250 men teamed up with Korach and therefore lost their identity. This is plausible, but on the one hand, on the other hand, naming 250 people is a lot of ink. Perhaps it's too difficult to name 250 people. Additionally, Korach was named. The Tananaviram were named. So were the 250 leaders worse that their names were not mentioned? The Midrash Tanchuma offers an opposite approach. It was Elitzur ben Shteur, the prince of the tribe of Reuven, and other known princes. But since they had redeeming qualities, the Torah had pity on them and did not name them. What their redeeming qualities were will have to be determined. On ben Pellet. Onben Pellet is a well-known mystery in this story. He is mentioned in the story in the opening verse, third in command after Korach and Atan and Aviram, but never to be mentioned again in the story. What happened to him? Why is he mentioned in the first place if never to be mentioned again? Was he significant or not? The Gemara in Masachet Sanhedrin tells the well-known story of how his wife saved him. Realizing that he wasn't going to be number one in any case, she managed to save him from the fate of the others. This story is an interesting one, but begs the question, why was he mentioned in the first place? To tell the story of his wife? Then why is this not a story not mentioned in the Torah? Furthermore, Rav Yaakov Meidan claims that Pelet, On's father, is in fact 
Datan and Aviram's grandfather. Their father, Eliav, is the son of Palu, as mentioned in Parshat Pinchas, and Palu and Pelet seem almost identical, which explains why the Torah in Parshat Pinchas, in fact, says, Uvnei Falu Eliav. Uvnei, the sons, in plural, of Palu, is R, Eliav, singular, one son. This might be hinting to an additional deceased brother, On. This being the case, On is in fact a more senior leader than his nephews, Datan and Aviram. But he's mentioned third. So where did he go? This takes us back to Shlach and the Mekoshesh. We offered several explanations as to understanding the story of the Mekoshesh in this context. Rav Meidan suggests that as opposed to one opinion in Chazal who suggests that Slofchad was the Mekoshesh Eitzim, Slofchad, the father of the four daughters who we'll read about in Parashat Pinchas, he suggests it was in fact On Ben Pelet, the reason, rebellion. The Torah and Eretz Yisrael were a package deal. If we get, if we do not get Eretz Yisrael, I am not keeping the Torah. So the Mekoshesh, On Ben Pelet, said, On and his personal rebellion were put to death. So so insignificant because it was an it was an anonymous. But no, it was not. According to Rav Meidan, On's rebellion spurned the greater rebellion of Korach. So, posthumously, he received honorable mention, but was not actually around for the rebellion to be described in its further development. Thus, according to this rep- approach, the Mekoshesh story is chronologically in place, and a complete link between the sin of the spies and Korach. If we are mentioning connections to Shlach, it is hard to ignore one of the most famous Midrashim in the context of Parashat Korach. Rashi, quoting the Midrash Tanchuma at the outset of the parasha, describes the following tactic that Korach used to undermine Moshe as a leader, as a halachic authority. Korach put on all his rebels talitot that were made entirely of tchelet. They stood before Moshe and asked, A talit that is entirely tchelet, is obligated in tzitzit or exempted? Moshe answered, obligated. They began mocking him. A talit, not of tchelet, is sufficient to have one string of tchelet to fulfill the mitzvah. These talitot that are made in, entirely of tchelet should not be exempt themselves. Korach's message is twofold. One, Moshe, your laws are illogical, proving that you made up everything on your own, and the Torah is not divine so to your decision as to who will be the Kohen Gadol, your brother. Secondly, more so, the Tchelet is a parable. A regular garment needs one string of Tchelet to fulfill the mitzvah. A regular nation needs an elevated leader. However, a garment made entirely of Tchelet certainly does not need a string of Tchelet. A nation holy in its entirety, Kulam Kedoshim, certainly does not need an elevated leader to lead them. Moshe's answer is, of course, yes, they do. Even a garment of tchelet needs a string of tchelet, and so too a holy nation needs an elevated leader. And now, Parshat Tzitzit is not just in the aftermath of the sin of the spies, but it is an introduction to Korach's rebellion. So what we have learned until this point is that the rebellion, while formulated in terms of issues that have existed since the beginning of Sefer Bemidbar, 
seem in fact to be in the aftermath of the sin of the spies and the disappointment with Moshe's leadership. It might have begun this rebellion with the Mekoshesh, who might have been on Ben Pellet, but it soon becomes a large rebellion, which consisted of at least two groups, Korach and his cohorts, stressing the holiness of the nation, the question of who needs to be Kohanim, and Datan and Aviram, who outright attack Moshe for failing to lead the people into Israel. We will now continue to read how these two groups end off, which ostensibly, for those familiar with the story, seem to be a similar end, but ultimately very different. We will now we read Moshe's response in verse 15. Moshe's response to Datan Vaviram is as follows: Vayichar le Moshe meod, vayomer ladonai, al teifen el minchatam, lo hamor echad mehem nasati, velo hareote et echad mihem. Then Moshe became very angry and said to Hashem, "Do not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm to any of them." Moshe gets angry, a term that is not often used. Moshe attempted to communicate with them, and they would not even speak to him. Lo chamor echad mehem nasati. I have not taken a donkey of theirs. In other words, I have never used my leadership to take advantage of them, to take something that doesn't belong to me. I have not done anything bad to them. But Moshe uses an interesting term, al tefen el min chatam, do not regard their offering. Which, which offering is this referring to? Within the context that we have read, it appears that the offering is referring to the ktorit, the incense offering that will be offered by the rebels tomorrow in their confrontation with Aharon. No other offerings have been mentioned in these psukim. This is the simple understanding of the verses according to the, according of this verse according to Rashi. The Ramban rejects, rejects Rashi's explanation because ultimately we will read that the Tan and Aviram were not among those who offered the Ketoret. The Ramban gives an explanation and Rashi also gives a Midrash alternative that their offering refers to their portion in the daily offering, the Korban HaTamid. However, is a combined third alternative possible? Perhaps... At this point in time, Moshe still perceives the rebels as one cohesive group, and Datan and Aviram will be offering Ktorit. And to this, he says, do not regard their offering, the Ktorit. Only subsequently, as the events unravel, will it become clear that Datan and Aviram have no interest in the Ktorit or in the Kehuna. Verse 16. ויאמר משה אל קורח אתה וכל עדתך היו לפני אדוני אתה והם ואהרון מחר וקחו איש מחתתו ונתתם עליהם כתורת ויקרבתם לפני אדוני איש מחתתו חמישים ומאתיים מחתות ואתה ואהרון איש מחתתו. If Moshe's anger was ignited by Datan and Aviram, he now turns the anger to Korach and the 250 men. The diplomacy that was attempted is over. There will be a confrontation and test. There is no backing out. The Ramban comments that Moshe repeats the number 250, which according to the Ramban is to exclude Datan and Aviram. They deserve a more unique death. However, according to what, what has been suggested, Datan and Aviram are excluded not because they were not invited to the Ketorah test, but because they were not interested in the Ketorah test. They were not interested in the Kehunah. 
Additionally, the Ramban comments that Moshe's word, words in these verses, which ostensibly seem repetitive of verse 5 to 7, are to make clear that Aharon will be part of the test. Tomorrow, Moshe, both in our verse and in verse 5, stress that the test will take place the next day. And in fact, we will only note what will take place in the test the next day. We have learned about the two groups that are challenging Moshe's leadership, the, those who offer the incense, who are challenging the Kehuna, and Datan Vaviram, who are challenging Moshe's leadership in general. What will happen, we will find out tomorrow on the next day.